Right, good morning everyone. Uh, this morning, oh, it's a long reading. It's all of Acts 10. So here we go. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Well, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked, and the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter, and he's staying with Simon the Tanner, in whose house is by the sea. So when the angel had spoke to him, had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Well, this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, there are three men looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? So the men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask to come, asked you to come to his house so that he can hear you what you have to say. So then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and 
fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Oh, stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Well, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Uh, May I ask why you sent for me? So Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a job for Simon who's called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. And so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Well, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. And we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Well, then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They had received the Holy Spirit just as we have. 
And so we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Amen. Well, thanks, Val. Um, Really well read uh, in a story that can't really be cut in half. Uh, It's great to have it read uh, in such a fashion uh, for us. And also, I must say, I felt uh, well encouraged for my uh, sort of big noting of uh, Brighton's missional heart at the moment. The thing I'm most encouraged by is that you're actually having a prayer night uh, tonight uh, for mission. Prayer is the foundation of wanting to share the good news of Jesus with others. Uh, We, like you, did the Engage Work faith uh, training uh, a little while ago and uh, at that we sort of shared some different names of people to pray for who might come along uh, to the first of those things, the food that takes me home uh, by the Engage Work Faith team. I asked for prayer from our church for two specific people and in God's kindness they both said yes over the weekend so the three of us uh, heading along uh, to that so it's just an encouragement uh, in prayer and also just to add my commendation to Taste and See which none of you would have uh, seen or experienced before because it's the first time it's been run in South Australia. Um, I coached a guy out of Perth called Paul Young who actually put that together uh, for a few years as he planted a church there so I'm sort of well across uh, the thoughtfulness and intent that's been put behind that so again please do pray and invite people along Uh, it promises to be something wonderful and an idea uh, hopefully uh, Kenlight Gardens might be the second church in South Australia to try that uh, early in the new year. Well as we think about mission Uh, The big picture of which we come to this is that we know that God is at work in the world with a great plan of salvation and in his kindness he wants us to join him. We as Christians are invited to participate in the greatest, most diverse, most significant cause in history as God builds his kingdom today here on earth. There's lots of ways that we can each play our part in a local church like Brighton on Mission Together. Uh, I don't uh, know you all particularly well, but I'll be praying that, of course, some of you might be sort of capital E, kind of gifted by God evangelists. And uh, as the Engage Work Faith training that I mentioned that many of you did recently uh, helped with, uh, actually all Christians are to make the most of every opportunity to speak about God to people who see us living passionate and well-integrated Christian lives that commend God's grace to others. And all of this, of course, is so that we might see in response to Jesus' call to go and make disciples of all nations as a people who are bowled over by the grace of God and have never really quite recovered. We as a church are motivated and equipped together to share the gospel so that we're seeing people saved as they respond to Jesus by the work of God's spirit in repentance and faith. I got to preach in Broken Hill a couple of weeks ago, a church of uh, about uh, 40 people there um, with a new pastor and they've been praying for opportunities to share the gospel and last Sunday, uh, between when I was there, they baptised three new people in the town of Broken Hill who'd come to know Jesus for the first time. So God is at work in the world today and he invites us to join him. That's kind of the big picture of mission that hasn't changed since Jesus ascended to heaven and sent the Spirit to enable God's church for this task. Yet for many of us, I think we've sensed that the context for our mission in Australian society has been changing 
and it feels harder. There's some wonderful exceptions, of course, but on the whole, I don't think I've seen Christians kind of more withdrawn and on the back foot than when it comes to sharing the gospel uh, at present, which is part of the reason I'm so encouraged by the plans you have here at Trinity Church Brighton. There is a lot going on in our world. Uh, Christian views aren't uh, seen as merely false. Uh, In the last 10 years or so now, they've come to be seen or considered as dangerous, particularly because of our biblical convictions around issues of sexuality and other things. So no longer is the Christian worldview uh, worth considering to many, but now the public mood is that Christians need to be silenced and Bible-believing Christians exiled from our world so that our world can move forward. Uh, One of the books I found most helpful to understand uh, what's going on is also uh, come out of Perth. It's it's a book by the name of uh, Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't, by a guy named Steve McAlpine, and uh, Simon tells me a number of you have read that. If you want a commendation from someone else uh, for that book, John Anderson, uh, former Deputy PM, said of it, at last, a neat and accessible explanation of what's happening in our culture. It's great to be written uh, by an Australian too, so I really commend that book uh, to you to further unpack what I've just been saying about the the context we currently find ourselves in. I think the book goes partway to explaining something that I've seen a lot of lately, that Christians, myself included, have been trying to work out. Now that we're kind of considered the bad guys by many, how do we share the gospel of Jesus with those that our world considers the good guys? So, for example, I've had many a conversation with older Christians lately, um, one who'd been to a funeral of a friend, and I asked, was your friend a Christian? And they said, well, no, but he was a really moral guy. I said, did you ever have the chance to share the gospel with him? They said, well, I tried a few times, but I didn't want to push it too hard. He hated religion, but he's such a good bloke, really community-hearted. And they're not quite saying it, because, of course, it doesn't align with the gospel. But there is a discomfort, shall we say, uh, on connecting the dots with actually the reality of heaven and hell and everyone's need for Jesus. Uh, The other week I found myself in a similar situation. I was helping one of the older guys at the RSL where our office is. He's a great bloke. Uh, He gently ribs me about being a sky pilot, which is an ex-serviceman joke about army chaplains. But out of the blue he said to me as we were saying goodbye, he said, you know Matt, me and the big man, we're on good terms. We understand each other. I just don't need to come along to church each week to prove it to other people. Am I right? (laughs) Now, I'm not a kind of shove-it-down-your-throat kind of evangelist, but he was asking me to affirm something that I know is not right. I was caught off guard and my brain didn't move fast enough and all I could say was kind of, oh, uh, uh, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) He said, okay, I've got to run, we'll have a beer and chat some more. And welcome to my life, a running history of me thinking of good things to say 30 seconds after a conversation has finished. But all is not lost, we are catching up for that beer. And what I'll lead with as we catch up over the said beer is that no one gets to decide they're right with God on their own terms. We only get to be right with God on God's terms. And for that, you need Jesus. And we'll see where we go from there. 
Now, I just give those stories as examples because I think one of the biggest challenges we're facing as God's church at the moment, as we think about our mission, is sharing the gospel with kind of the good guys in our world as the new bad guys, which is unfamiliar territory for many of us. So I chose Acts 10 today to unpack as the Apostle Peter shares the gospel with one of the biggest good guys in the Bible, Cornelius. Because to be faithful messengers of the gospel, we need to know who the message is for and what the message is. And I want to keep asking myself and challenging you as a local church of God's people to just ask that heart question. Do we really believe what we believe? That for every person on the planet, even those we live among that we really admire and look up to on our street or in our workplace, that heaven and hell, salvation and judgment, hang in the balance for each person that we know and love based on their willingness to come to God on his terms through his appointed saviour, Jesus. Now, it's easy to nod along to uh, at church on a Sunday, much harder to really believe it face-to-face at the footy club or at the school drop-off or when you're at a family gathering with kids and grandkids. And if you're here today checking out who Jesus is for the first time or thinking through church and Jesus for the first time in a long time, Welcome, you've come to a great church that will faithfully share the good news of Jesus with you. And I hope from today that you'll at least walk out thinking, I really appreciate someone just cutting to the chase uh, with directness on what hangs in the balance uh, with Jesus. And that you'd realise that it's something worthy of really careful investigation. And not only would I encourage you to attend uh, Taste and See, but invite some people along uh, with you uh, to sort of step through that big picture of what God's doing in the world. But for now, I'm going to get into the reading we just had. Don't worry, I'm not going to work through it uh, chapter and verse. Uh, For us, just to see how it challenges us on who the gospel message is for and what its content is. So it'll be great to keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 10. There is a new story as we come to Acts chapter 10 as our camera zooms in on the town of Caesarea to a Roman centurion named Cornelius who in verses 1 and 2 that we read like most centurions that we see in the Bible, has a steady mind and is a good man to have about. He's Italian, yet referred to as a God-fearer, someone drawn to Judaism and the one true God. He's devout, along with his whole household, gives generously to others and has a pretty vibrant prayer life. And he receives a vision of an angel from God and responds immediately as instructed, sending a couple of his servants and a devout soldier to Joppa to look for Peter. While they're making the uh, 60k uh, round trip, uh, a few days brisk walk, God gives Peter a vision, strange to us at first, about what kind of animals are okay for him to kill and eat, which kind of offended his Jewish beliefs, uh, about what was okay for him to eat according to the Jewish law. And to add to Peter's uh, catalogue of inappropriate responses to Jesus, he says, Surely not, Lord! (laughs) But the voice said, Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And it happened three times. As Peter's often uh, a little slow, uh, like me, as he's pondering all of this, the travellers arrive and Peter is told by the Spirit to go with them. 
And a day later he comes to Cornelius' house. Peter gets the whole story that the same spirit who had spoken to him had also given Cornelius a vision to send for Peter. And this is one of the many sort of spirit-given moments that we read of in the book of Acts. And Cornelius has gathered his whole household, even his close friends, to hear what this spirit-given messenger is about to say. And in the context of the book of Acts, this is God through his divine director of evangelism, the Holy Spirit, breaking new ground for the gospel, shattering Peter's prejudices and challenging the early church. As God makes clear to his little bit slow disciples that this message of salvation about Jesus and a free gift of forgiveness is for all people everywhere. As kind of a side question, do we still believe the same Spirit of God is directing the advance of the gospel this day around the world? I had the privilege of spending a few days with a Christian who serves in a church in the Middle East in recent weeks. As he told me of his church, it had grown from about 100 people 15 years ago, meeting in a hotel room, to a church now of 4,500 with over 100 nationalities present and from the wealthiest to the poorest of people in that society. In a region where you cannot, by law, what they would call proselytize, ask someone to place their trust in Jesus. People of all religions from all nations are joining them. Some of them from the most unlikely of backgrounds who have had dreams of Jesus and wanting answers find this church. And he said to me, growing up in a church in Australia, I believe God could do such amazing things, but I had fairly low expectations that he would. Living where I live now, seeing God at work in such powerful ways has been so good for my confidence in the power of God, he said. So I said to him, you know, what do you think's behind this? And he said, well, well, God does what he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And he's not a genie in a bottle at our call. But I do think we could afford to be a little bit more optimistic for our evangelistic prayers for our city. That's an aside, because as I said, the main reason I chose this of the many stories I could have chosen in Acts is that I reckon we sort of, at a heart level at least, not intellectually, but struggle to connect the dots between what we believe and real life with the good people that we know. Give us someone who comes to us and said, my life is a mess, I've got so many regrets, I've hurt people I love, how could anyone love me? I reckon most of us are good to go. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. I think we struggle much more to see the gospel opportunities and the gospel need with the good guys in our street. So it's really not a complicated point I'm trying to make this morning from Acts chapter 10. It's really more of a challenge to the heart. Do we see the need? Do we feel the urgency of sharing the gospel of Jesus with both the couple you know who don't know Jesus, who really love their kids and give so much to the school community that you might be a part of, as much as the family that are tearing themselves apart through selfishness and bring nothing but pain and need to others. Do we really feel it that the gospel of Jesus is needed as much by the guy at the footy club who's always up for a laugh, who will do anything for anyone, first on the tongs at the barbie, as much as the guy that you know 
who beats his wife. To be faithful messengers of the gospel, we need a heart conviction that all people everywhere, both those deemed by our world to be the bad guys, as well as the good guys, need to hear the gospel. I chose the Cornelius story to make the simple point that even the best people we know really need the message of the gospel and for God to grant them repentance and faith in Jesus by his spirit. Because I think Cornelius is the best good guy that we meet in the New Testament. He's referred to here positively as a God-fearer. It's not a popular turn of phrase today and I'm not trying to bring it back. But I'd put it to you that there's lots more kind of God-fearer Cornelius types all around us still in the world today. Uh, a guy called Derek Prime, who writes well on this, describes the God-fearers of today as follows. God-fearers recognise that God exists and that in some way he's at the centre of the world and controls things. I was at a dinner recently on mission which had some of the latest Australian stats on such things and it still shows that about 65% of our society still believe in God or a higher power beyond ourselves who is in control. Secondly, God-fearers recognise the value of living a moral life. They almost intuitively distinguish between right and wrong. At one of the RSL funerals I did recently, I was meeting with the family and they were very clear with me that Dad wasn't a Christian, but he was a very moral man as they sought to convince me that he was right with God. <laughs> Little did they know I'd been reading the Bible uh, with him and he wanted me to preach the gospel uh, at his funeral, <laughs> uh, which was a great joy. Thirdly, God-fearers look for eternal assurance uh, of... Um, eternal assurance, and want to know that they're living the kind of life that will be rewarded. And fourthly, God-fearers are often characterised by prayer and good works. And still over a third of Australians self-identify as people who pray regularly. Behind all of this, many are still genuinely seeking God. So enter our kind of big E, bold evangelists to take their God-given opportunities to proclaim the gospel, but just as importantly, everyday Christians ready to speak of the hope they have in Jesus. Now, there's lots of examples of Peter and the Apostle Paul sharing the gospel message in Acts. All have something to teach us. Some are quite brief, others more expansive. Of course, all are faithful to the message. Peter's message at Cornelius' home was kind of on the more comprehensive end. And as Peter proclaims the gospel, he preaches for only 60 seconds, yet they are converted from being God-fearers to Christians. That sermon is recorded for us in verses 34 to 43, and Peter kind of has the luxury uh, that we don't have today that his audience were familiar with the recent happenings in Israel regarding Jesus' life and death. You might have picked it up as Val read to us before. Uh, as you read through the sermon, there's all these kind of, you know this about Jesus and you know uh, what happened, which is uh, not a, uh, a luxury that we have today. So I'll bring Peter's gospel in 60 seconds forward, almost 2,000 years, and proclaim it to our generation hitting the same points. So here goes. You know the name of Jesus Christ and that he's undisputedly one of the most influential people in human history. 
The Bible claims that he wasn't just a great teacher, but that he was Lord of all the earth. And that he brought great news to all people everywhere that we can have peace with God. The Bible claims that as a young man of 33, he, 30, sorry, he was baptised by a bloke named John who had been preparing the people's hearts to turn to God, readying them to hear a message of forgiveness. For three years, Jesus went around doing all kinds of good and displaying his power, healing the sick, bringing dead people back to life and releasing people from the power of evil because God was with him. Reliable witnesses saw everything he did and recorded the most important of these things for us. But the religious people of the day hated Jesus. They were jealous of the huge crowds that followed him and, he was cl- and his claims that he was more than a man, that actually he was God himself come to save us. So they killed him by having him nailed to a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and he was seen by hundreds of people before crowds, large and small alike. He ate and drank with people after he rose from the dead and before he ascended into heaven. He commanded his followers and all the generations after them, myself included, to preach and to testify that Jesus is the one who God has appointed judge of the living and the dead. In fact, this was prophesied about in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus was born that he would come and that everyone who believes in his name will receive forgiveness of sins through his name and his name alone. Well, Peter got no further before the Holy Spirit came on all who heard it. All these God-fearers, the first non-Jews to become Christians, the first of billions who would follow between then and now. Now, like the apostles in Acts, we don't always get all of that out in any and every situation, but for us, it's not a bad summary of the good news of Jesus that we have been given to proclaim together as local churches like this one at Trinity Church Brighton. So to be faithful messengers of the gospel together, we need to know who needs to hear the message and to be clear on what the message is. And given there's 1.2 million people in our city that desperately need Jesus, our prayerful desire is, of course, that the Trinity Network and many others will see hundreds more gospel-hearted churches planted in our city just like this one. Churches praying for, like I encourage as many who can get along to tonight, for our gifted by God evangelists to be provided with open doors to reclaim the message to new groups of people at events like food that takes me home and taste and see. But also that together, all of us, all Christians in Adelaide who proclaim uh, the gospel might be an army of Christians ready to share the hope we have in Jesus through God-given opportunities that are provided by God's Spirit. That together, we'd be clear on who needs to hear the message of the gospel, both the good guys and the bad guys, as deemed by our world. And that together in God's kindness, we'd be clear on the message of the gospel. I am, as I've said, really encouraged by the growth, optimism and missional heart that's been building here at Brighton. And uh, as I said, it's, it's actually not just because I'm here, it's the church I've been most encouraged by as a, as a somewhat frustrated evangelist myself uh, by. So keep going. There's much more we could say, but as I close, 
I just thought, of all the things I could do, I want to have one more go at helping your hearts really feel the gospel need as we look across, across the street, as we look across the sporting club, celebrating in the club rooms after the win, as we look to our friends, our family and our school communities. And one of the ways I've been doing that lately is to spend some time thinking through what the world without Jesus is offering them. And very quickly, I think you can come to the conclusion that it's actually pretty lame in comparison to what God offers all people everywhere through Jesus. So take our world's worship of money. When I say worship it, it's where people look to for security, to give us freedom, to opportunities, hope for better times. I would say if you just kind of scratch around that for a little while, if people actually think where money is where life is at, you never actually have enough. You'll never feel settled. You'll never feel quite safe enough. Before becoming a pastor, I worked in corporate banking and uh, looked after the tuna fishermen in Port Lincoln, uh, some of the richest uh, people in our state. And it struck me as I was entertaining uh, our customers around the table one night uh, that the net worth of the table was over a billion dollars. I know that sounds a lot, but one guy was worth 700 million, so it gets you off to a pretty good start. And for the record, I don't bring much to the tally. <laughs> uh, you can tell by the car I drive. <laughs> but the guy worth 100 million was jealous of the 700 million guy. The guy worth 20 million was jealous of the 100 mil guy. But as I sat there in the table, I thought, I'm pretty confident I am the happiest person here. Pretty much all of them despaired at the behaviour of their kids. Like kids who grow up in extreme wealth, it wasn't good. And I knew how much the heart ached from the guy who'd just lost his grandson to cancer. Now he had the money to fly him around the world for the most cutting-edge experimental treatments which didn't save him. So all he could do was name his latest boat after him to remember him. It was a nice boat. $2 million boat buys you something pretty sweet. But how lame is that in comparison to what Jesus offers? For the grandson, he could have had eternal life. And for the grandfather, assurance his grandson was safe in Jesus' arms. And earlier this year, as I mentioned in the interview, I rewrote our Youth Life series, an evangelistic series for youth to invite their friends along. And I think God was really kind in the way that series came together. And I know Simon's, as I said, keen on doing that together as our southern churches next year. But I actually rewrote the whole course. The gospel doesn't change. But I think the big issue our youth are struggling with today is one of identity. So I wrote it from that perspective. As part of it, I tried to help them see the difference between what the world offers them without Jesus in a similar way to what I've just explained. So taking our young girls, for example, I have a 13-year-old in our house, the world is constantly telling them through social media and advertising that they're going to find fulfilment in this world by worshipping their bodies, their beauty and their sexual attractiveness. Which of course leaves all but a handful feeling never beautiful enough and attracts just the wrong kind of guy to have a relationship with. And by the way, enjoy it while it lasts and look forward to dying the death of a thousand cuts as your age and youthful beauty desert you. Day by day, and when you get old, just die quietly, will you, so that the young ones can keep pretending that death won't come. 
That's the narrative my 13-year-old daughter is being told to live by. How lame is that? How lame compared to knowing that for any person on earth, you're of enduring worth to a God who loves you, who will renew your aging body and make it fit for eternity. And between this day and that great day, a loving God will adorn you with the beauty of good works and godly character and give you treasure that will never spoil or fade. When you're honest about it like that and just chip away at what the world offers us as the path to the good life just a little, you can see just how lame it is. And I hope that by pointing that out, it may strengthen you and help you to think through and kind of together as a church recover your confidence that we have a great message of good news for all people to share about Jesus in such times. So as you consider the people you know and love, the grandkids who don't know Jesus, your friends at school, neighbours or friends at the footy, send some time pondering just how lame what the world offers them is. And I'd love you to pray for them together this week that God in his kindness would provide for them what he did for one of the best guys we meet in the Bible, Cornelius, and his household. A faithful messenger of the gospel of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit to bring the words of eternal life. I'll close today by praying. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God who loves your world that despite our rebellion and our rejection of you set in place a great plan of salvation that has rolled out in just the right time across the world and throughout time. And we earnestly pray and seek that the same spirit we see guiding the mission in the book of Acts, uh, that whilst we don't have the kind of director's commentary on like we do in the book of Acts, we express our trust in you that you too provide these same opportunities today. And we pray in your kindness whether uh, we're gifted by God, sort of uh, evangelists kind of breaking new ground, uh, or just regular everyday Christians called to share the good news of Jesus at any and every opportunity, that you might provide opportunities for us to invite people to step from death to life. Uh, to be declared a child of God and know that they can have a place uh, in heaven with you today. Despite our world's great confidence that it knows the way to the good life, we express our trust in you that only Jesus can offer that. Please build our confidence together and help us uh, help the people of Trinity Church Brighton to take the many opportunities that have been provided over the coming months. Uh, to invite people along or to, to speak to someone of the hope that we have uh, in Jesus. We pray this for your great glory. We pray this for the sake of uh, those uh, who don't know you. And we actually pray it too for our encouragement that uh, as uh, is happening uh, already in this church, you might continue to stoke the flames of kind of mission heat, that we might taste the, uh, the kind of the sweet taste of seeing people come uh, to know you for the first time, like those three people who were baptised in a pool last week in, in Broken Hill and uh, around our network in, in the weeks ahead. We pray this for your glory, for the sake of the lost and for our great encouragement. 
It's in Jesus' precious and very powerful name we pray.